most of the brands that are successful in the long term are brands that are very, very close to their core and they keep, even though they grow and they diversify, always that core is strong and solid and they are very close. The messages are always coming from the same point. So I think that will be the advice. It'll be make sure you know that you perfectly what is it that you're standing for and then to grow from there and to keep that connection as you grow and as you diversify. Welcome to Mindful Business Founder, the podcast for fashion business founders seeking to build a meaningful and profitable business. I'm Liki Tang, and I'm here with you today to find out how mindful founders build strong businesses that deliver value to people and to the planet. Today's episode is the second part of my conversation with Mathie Ventrion, who has joined us from Fair Isle in Scotland. When she first visited the island, she felt that she really belonged there and decided to move there. But you cannot just decide to move to Fair Isle. You need to submit an application and build a project. As Matty explained, there's plenty of work there, but no one is recruiting there. So you have to be a bit entrepreneurial and create your own job. And also find a way to serve the community of the island. So she built a project and moved the whole family from London to Fair Isle and fell in love with the knitwear tradition. And in 2011, in order to preserve and to continue the knitwear tradition in Fair Isle, she launched her brand, Mati Ventrion. In the previous episode, we delve into Fair Isle, into its history and the knitwear tradition. And if you haven't listened to it yet, you still can go ahead with this one and come back to the other one later. Now, in this part of our conversation, we will continue on our exploration of the incredible journey of an international fashion business owner in the tiny and remote island of Fair Isle. Mati will share with us some of the lessons learned when she launched the MV Collection, a collection inspired by museum pieces that Mati has modernized and made more affordable. If you're a knitwear designer, this part is a must-listen, as Matthew will walk us through the details of the making of this collection. We will also discuss the mainstream fashion system and why Matthew has chosen to develop her business on the fringe of this system. But my favorite part is when Matthew shares with much generosity and benevolence some insightful pieces of advice for starting and growing a meaningful business. So if you want to find out more about developing a knitwear collection inspired by history and tradition, growing a meaningful fashion business that works for you, and designing a life and a business on your own terms, join me for this conversation with Mathie Ventrillon. When I hear you talking about your journey and how you got into the business and how you managed to grow it, it sounds very natural, very smooth and very organic. And the tension 
only comes from your passion and not from external factor. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you've done that you have done when you started your business. Is something that you would not try again? Something you've learned? I think I have learned a lot, but also my growth is been compared to what uh, is expected business-wise, it's been quite slow. I mean, I'm on my seventh year. I started, yes, I'm going to, yes, this is my seventh year. And, you know, at, at this stage, most businesses are much bigger than what I am. And I think growing very slowly, and as you said, organically, has allowed me to adapt without terrible consequences um, because it's a more controlled growth. So things don't tend to get out of hand. Unfortunately, the consequences of that is that I can't always fulfill the demand for garments and the collections are much much slower yeah everything is just slow and it's a complete different rhythm so one of the projects that I was very very hesitant to start but I felt it was needed it was the production of industrially manufactured garments coming from the island so I had this dream that I could bring industrial knitting machines to the island so that we could produce fabrics and we can make garments and that can trigger the development of other businesses utilizing the fabric and the motives but at the same time will basically tap into the market where we have basically no representation at all, which is the high street retailers. They must produce these garments. They have no relationship whatsoever to the island, the motifs or anything. And I thought, why? You know, why are we not part of that? Why don't we have our real, <laughs> you know, motives and ferals and inspired by the lives of the people in this island why are we not producing them and I thought right if I bring an industrial knitting machine then that can be done and in no way is meant as a substitute to the bespoke or, or the artisans is to complement that because there's a whole group of people that would love to have a garment but cannot afford it. I am one of them. I can't buy my own jumpers. You know, it's like, I think someone like me could afford maybe a hundred and something, a 200 pound garment as something really special. But sometimes people don't realize how much it really costs to make something. You know, when, when you look at the time that, takes to learn the skills properly, to do things the right way. It's, you know, you're talking about hours. Uh, I mean, uh, one of the federal artisans jumpers takes 
20 hours minimum from knitting to finish and then you have the washing the pressing the labeling the packing the posting once you start to calculate uh, all those things which is people's time people's skill you know the cost goes up and up and up and people sometimes think oh my god your garments are so expensive you know those artisan garments are 360 400 pounds and i say yes and most of the payment goes to the knitter and it seems you know like oh very expensive is not you know the it's like you're almost breaking even after you have paid the knitter and you have done all the cost involved the profit is very small and i don't think people understand that cost of living in the uk is very very high therefore when you pay someone a salary or for their work that needs to reflect that cost of living so it's impossible to compete with something made in bangladesh because you're talking about people that earn less than a pound per hour yes well here you're talking that you pay at least 13 pounds an hour that will be decent for someone with a certain level of skill and that's still not a high pay job so it is it, it it is a problem when i created this mb collection the garments were designed here and i wanted to have a very strong connection to the history and the past so the garments were inspired by museum pieces and we got the fisherman jumper which is very traditional is what you know everyone will need and wear in the island and it's a garment that is shapeless so it's it's a complete straight panel and Mm -hmm. it's a slash neck and the sleeves are basically drop shoulder and they used to have in the past a gusset underarm gusset in order to allow movement so we didn't do the gusset because it becomes very complicated when working with an industrial knitting machine. But um, we managed to develop this really beautiful piece um, with the four color combination. Then we have the crew neck, which is the garment that sort of appeared in the 1930s, a more sporty wear, and we kind of modernized it a bit with shaping of the armholes and the sleeve and made it a more tapered fitting and then we got a hooded garment that was the result of an accident actually we wanted to make it's a very cute one (laughs) yeah we wanted to make a complete different hood and then of course the yarn behaves you know sometimes a bit different (laughs) and the hood came really long and i said you know what I actually like it. Why don't we still put it on and see what happens? And then it became like this, you know, kind of scarf, Nordics, nude, hood. And we loved it. And we thought, that's it, we're keeping it. So we did a few tweaks within the shape of the hood itself and the opening for the face. And we left it. And that garment is actually based on a hat that was knitted in silk and is kept in the museum in Edinburgh. And um, I did it for my brother 
in black and white. He he doesn't like color. And I did a very dark gray, an Oxford gray with a granite on the for the patterns and I just loved it. I thought, wow, you know, and it really showed the feral motifs beautifully. And then that little gradient of going through smaller motifs until you just have that speckle bit at the top. And I thought I'm dying to make a garment with that. So I adapted that to the you know design of the hoodie and and it's one of my favorite ones all those three styles have a very close link and relationship to pieces in the island the design of the crew neck that do you know is just large patterns one after another kind of zigzagging that is from a piece from the 1860s that the social historian of the island showed me uh, one day we were discussing the knitting and she took this piece out, knitted in very fine yarn, incredibly soft, uh, almost lace weight. And it's just a basic four color. It has the background in red and blue and the motifs in yellow and white. And it was so simple yet striking. And I thought, yes, that was my inspiration for that crew neck. So of course I I did a reinterpretation of the background and instead of just playing with two colors on the background, I put four and left all the foreground in one color to create the effect that helped me actually to understand color work in Feral, which was I, I understood the background as an independent thing, and then the motifs almost like a lace knitting piece that is sitting on this background. That was the way I understood the color work in Fair Isle. And once you superpose these two layers, they merge, and that's where you get the changes of color. So, of course, you have stripes on the background that, as they merge with the motifs, changes the color of the motifs. And that's where you get that rhythm of two by two. So you got two background colors and two foreground colors, and they change progressively. And... That I reinterpreted, for example, with the grading in the fisherman jumper. So you have Mm -hmm. the fisherman jumper is an ombre effect that is still relates to that change in background. So instead of having just two small stripes, you have now bands. So the stripes become bands of color that grade. That collection was made with that in mind, with a strong link to the very early pieces of feral knitting. It was a celebration of the motifs, the larger motifs that people seem to have forgotten. Because in the 1980s, with the introduction of the flatbed knitting machines, it was much easier to work with the medium-sized motifs because they fit better in the 24 repeat and also they leave less floats on the back. So when you look at 
feral knitting through history, you will find a big change in the 1980s from the larger motifs that were about 26 stitches by 17, 21 rows, you have uh, now uh, 24 stitches by 12 rows. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, it changes all the garments produced from the 1980s onwards, which is what people think is traditional feral now. It only happened at that time mm-hmm. in that way. And when you look prior to that, there is more a combination of the very large motifs with the medium size. And for children's garments, they will use the smaller patterns with what they call grunts, which are three to five rows Mm -hmm. motifs. And I found that fascinating. And so the MV collection was a celebration of those very early designs and yet is industrially manufactured. Uh, I started the project with the Shetland College uh, here, but unfortunately their production capacity is very limited. It's a textile unit that works for the college and it's mainly for the use of the students. So uh, the commercial side of it is, is, is very small and very limited. So I did the first collection in 2015 and it was very small we had only like 20 garments of each style and then for 2018 we produced the second collection that is the one that you can see on the website at the moment and for that we work with a manufacturer in England and it was very difficult there were again big challenges uh, Shetland wool is slightly thicker than the standard wool for the five gauge machines um, the wool itself has some challenges it tends to break uh, because the fibers are longer and softer Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah there was a lot to to work on and we have the same problem about keeping the continuity of the patterns in the round and to not you know cut them on the sides and having to work with different tensions for each side so of course if you know anything about manufacturing Everything that I've just said sounds like a nightmare. It's like the worst that you can come up, you know, for a manufacturer. And then the fact that we didn't want to cut the motifs, then basically they have to reset the machine for each size and for each style, which is crazy. No one does that, you know. They have all the machines set at the same tension and same, and they just need non-stop. So this was like a a massive uh, learning curve, but also a great experience. I learned a lot with that project. I learned a lot about compromising, about quality, what is really important, uh, the perception of the designer and the perception of the customer is completely different. The way we see the product and the way the consumer sees the product 
is completely different. You can compromise and preserve the quality because some of the things that we see as designers and meters are not necessarily important when it comes to adapting a product and trying to recreate something that is hand-knitted with an industrial knitting machine might not be necessary. Maybe there is a beauty in what you can achieve with an industrial knitting machine that you won't be able to do by hand. And I think I learned those things. uh, And also as a brand, you know that how much you commit, how much you compromise. That was really important. So was it a mistake or something I will look back and said I won't do it? No, I think I will still do it, but maybe I will do it differently. And maybe I will have the focus in slightly different things. Thank you so much for your explanation, because I was so fascinated by your explanation that I completely forgot what was the question. (laughs) 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 I spent some time looking because I'm very intrigued by your motifs. And uh, I spent some time looking at this collection and I find something very intriguing, but I couldn't explain why I was so fascinated. And now I understand why. (laughs) Thank you so much for all this explanation. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. My pleasure is that that's what I actually want people to learn is you know there's so much um I didn't know there was so much behind that that's priceless what you've just shared with us thank you I think I should tell that and I don't I don't fully tell the story it's very difficult to sometimes to put your passions and your beliefs into words for everyone so the message uh, is another thing anyone that is you know creating a business or a brand is how to transmit the message how to pass that message that i think is really important one part of the message that i got from looking at your campaigns is the roughness of the land and um, and also the the roughness and the richness of the culture yes this, this is something i definitely get from looking at the you know, at your website, but I didn't get all the details on the MV collection. So thank you very much. That's that's something else I'm very intrigued by is that you've got some, well, not some, no, you've got a lot of exposure from, you know, different events um, in your company with your business. And still, you're outside of the traditional fashion system, you don't have two collections a year. I think you don't take part into any fashion weeks. Have you ever been tempted to be part of that system? Um, I think in terms of exposure to create awareness, yes, I would love that because... It's a platform that allows you to reach millions of people. And if you do it properly, you can communicate your message to the masses. So in that respect, I think it's great. But unfortunately, I do not agree with the structure and the pressure designers and 
startups are put through when you take part because it pushes you sometimes to sacrifice the things you're actually standing for in order to comply with the schedules, with the rhythm that it's only viable for really big companies. You know, a photo shoot is over £10,000 to organize a proper one, uh, to produce the prototypes, to have the models, to then have the website, to have the campaign launch, uh, let alone the organization of the collection, the presentation of it during uh, fashion week. The investment of time and money is unmeasurable. I mean, for a small business or for someone that is starting off. And then that's where the problem arises. When you have invested all that, you need to recover that investment, which means you need to sell probably too many. And maybe you don't need to produce hundreds of thousands of pieces, the same color, the same style. And I think it's kind of you're stuck in this cycle. And I don't know how you can break that. Because that's one of the things where I have been stuck as well. So I have invested a lot in order to have, you know, beautiful photography for the website and the collections I have created. But it's an incredible effort and investment of capital that because I'm so small and I you know my growth is so small the recovery of that investment is insignificant really in the long term yeah it's a difficult one um yeah I believe that I'm creating pieces I mean the bespoke obviously I'm creating unique pieces that I'm hoping people will cherish for life and it's something that they're not going to throw away in a year's time or that they're only going to wear for one winter we're talking about garments that will last 20 30 years and i believe that that is more important the same with the artisans those garments are beautifully handcrafted pieces really made to last so I can't see the value of producing tons of different colors every year and changing it all the time. It just doesn't do it for me. I I just don't see value in that. With the MV, it's probably the only one that you could say, well, that could be changed because it's a more dynamic, it's a more, you know, younger feeling. But even that, I mean, those garments are also garments that are made to last for a long, long time. So, yes, I don't think I would change. I think there are iconic pieces that can be kept and then you can introduce new ideas. But I think the new ideas need to celebrate, again, something that talks about the island and its tradition rather than just a change of color and shape. That's too easy. That You don't need a person to do that. Throw it in a computer and randomize colors and produce it. You know what I mean? To really have a, 
a collection that is well thought and uh, will have a story behind, then it takes a lot more time. I mean, the ideas are there. I got plenty of ideas for new projects. And yes, maybe the limitations are economical because of, you know, this low growth and lack of sales in, in big numbers. But I think we are entering a period where like-minded individuals and communities are more important. And I think connecting with people will be the answer. And one of the ideas I have, because I have a collection for the MV that was designed two years ago. And I really want to do that. And it's a celebration actually of the fibers and the animals where everything started and it's a celebration of husbandry and life of crofters um, with traceability within the garments. And um, I was thinking, well, probably the best way to do that is actually creating a community that will fund the project, something like a crowdfunding style. And I think that is probably the answer where you are actually producing what is already sold rather than having an excess because then there's always waste. So we need to reduce that waste and make sure that every garment that is produced has a owner. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that idea is very nice and it can resolve a lot of problems for manufacturing but then it changes the whole way of doing things because then you're not going to be manufacturing masses of one size or two sizes it's, you know it becomes more tailored and i'm trying to work out how that can be achieved how can you involve people in that part of the process so it's Almost like when you create a collection and then you go to your buyers and then you're only producing. The, the one that they have ordered, yeah. Yes, but basically not having to go through a buyer, you're basically going directly to the people. And I think social media could allow that to happen. So that's a experiment, <laughs> upcoming experiment. <laughs> that I might put into place at some point. So I'm thinking about it and thinking, how am I going to do that, you know? But it's in my head and it's just such a beautiful project. I really want to produce those garments and I need to hurry up <laughs> because it's been already two years and has not happened. So, yes. I might need to ask for help, a little help from my friends out there. We've unpacked a lot during this conversation and you've raised some topic that some other brands would say, oh, we are sustainable, we're ethical, we are whatever, but you never named it. Um, what piece of advice, what recommendation would you give to someone who's starting a brand and wants to launch a business with a meaning, with some sort of meaning? What kind of advice would you give them? Hmm. I think first is, I will say that you need to have a clear message and what is the core 
of your business and your brand. I think that's important to have the story. How will you describe your brand? What is it that is standing for? And then make sure that you do stick to that core. Always, it doesn't matter how much you diversify, but always preserve your core, always preserve your birth story, if you want to put it that way. I think that's really important. And to be truth to that story, it's very easy, as I was saying, when you're growing and you start to make compromises, you can very easily forget what you're standing for, what's the core of your message, and you can drift away from it. And I think that will be noticeable as a brand and your customers will see it. So most of the brands that are successful in the long term are brands that are very, very close to their core and they keep, even though they grow and they diversify, always that core is strong and solid and they are very close. The messages are always coming from the same point. So I think that will be the advice. It'll be make sure you know that you perfectly what is it that you're standing for and then to grow from there and to keep that connection as you grow and as you diversify. One very last thing. Do you have a new project you want to talk about? Uh, well, there's... <laughs> I always have projects, but I think the newest enterprise is the entering into the hangnitters uh, world. So I have had a lot of requests from hangnitters um, about the garments and my designs. So I finally took a step and accepted an offer to publish a book yes um, which will come up in September and it will have 15 projects and these projects are divided into three main sections that have to do with how I understood in my process of learning Fair Isle and the three sections are very much linked to the history of some of the pieces of knitwear um, that were crucial in my understanding of the art of knitting, Fair Isle. And then each project has an evolution in color. So you will have the same garment in black and white in four colors and then in six colors. And you can see that change where we go from you know just having a background in the foreground to having two colors on the background two in the foreground and then playing around with that and I think it'll be a really nice project for hang knitters and people to understand Fair Isle and they all have 19th century motives nothing modern and nothing new but they are very interesting in the way the color evolves within the projects and there is that beautiful motif combination that I use for the MB collection for the hoodie is in there from tiny accessories to a really big poncho 
So the motifs have been scaled to suit the the project. So I think it will be interesting. And so that's the latest. And and then is is the new collection for MD, which I'm hoping to find a creative way for launching it next year. Great. For the book, I'm not going to start any projects, but I'm definitely buying the book because I'll want to learn. I want to find out more about the the motives and uh, and how you create all this beautiful knitwear garment, all this beautiful garment. So I will definitely buy it. Thank you. Thank you you might be tempted to try and knit one of the little projects. They're very quick, so you never I might, know. but I might, but I'm not very patient for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. If people want to connect with you or buy your products, they go on your website. Yes. Mathie Ventrion. Yes. And I'll put the link in the show notes. And um, any other thing you want to add? Um, no, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity and for allowing me to tell my story in your beautiful podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mathie. Bye. Bye. Mathieu's journey is truly inspiring. I've learned a lot from this conversation, and especially how Mathieu built her brand. Her brand stands for something that is much, much bigger than herself. She launched her business for the knitwear tradition to live on, but it's more than that. It's a celebration of Fair Isle history, but also the celebration of the resilience and creativity of its people over the centuries. With Matty, I've learned that doing things in a certain way, only if that works for her business and what her brand stands for, is a very powerful guiding principle to decide what to say yes to or no to. It is a practical and honest approach to build and grow a meaningful business on your own terms. The other thing that really resonated with me is Matty's amazing entrepreneurial attitude. She saved fair-eyed knitwear tradition by bringing the craft to the internet and made it available to the rest of the world, preserving the tradition and creating jobs. She's innovative, she has lots of ideas, and is not afraid to explore new ways to serve her customers and her community. I feel so grateful for this opportunity to learn with Mattie. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and that you've also learned some interesting ideas that you can implement right away in your business as well. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you soon. Did you like this episode? If you enjoyed listening to Mindful Business Founder, you can share this with your friends who are also on the sustainability journey. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help other people like you find this podcast. Bye now and talk to you soon.